Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. In by Kulisevsky. Welcome, listeners, to The Extra Inch. My name's Windy, and I'm joined by my sidekick and best friend, Bardi. Hello, Bardi. Hello, Windy. And our tactics guy, and a man whose eyes I would stare into as I was gripping his hand. It's Nathan E. Clark. Hello, Nathan. The listeners can't see, but I'm doing the Conte shocked face. Already a delightful meme. We're very happy with uh, how that worked out, particularly given the, the late winner. And we will definitely be talking about managerial shenanigans, given that was such a an important part of the tool draw against Chelsea. Um, before we get stuck in, just a couple of bits of admin. So firstly, we got a message from our friend Sarah Edwards. So Sarah organises collections for the Tottenham Food Bank on match days. And the first collection this season is going to be on Saturday before the Wolves game. The collection is between 9.30 and 11.30 at the Food Bank van, which will be parked at the Tottenham Sports Centre on the High Road. That's at the Church Road end opposite the Beavertown pub, um, or diagonally opposite the club shop if you don't navigate by pubs like I do. Um, They're looking for donations of sweet and savoury snacks and biscuits in particular, but anything that people can spare, including toiletries, would be great. Please please do all you can to support the Tottenham Food Bank. That'll be great. Uh, And while we're talking about sort of how awful things are right now, um, cost of living crisis, uh, non-existent government, all that stuff, um, have a look at wesayenough.co.uk. I like like what they're trying to create. I I like the campaign. Their Twitter campaign is at EIE campaign. Uh, Enough is enough, that is. They're they're going to be holding some rallies. I will definitely be at one. Um, Have a look. See if it's something you might want to get involved with. Mm. And also, I wanted to say thank you to Jake Cantor for the absolutely delightful email that he sent to us. And he did ask ask a question, but I fear that even... Attempting to answer it would be too self-indulgent, but it was massively appreciated. So <laughs> thank you, Jake. Sweet. Really, really sweet. We get loads of nice emails, but I feel like that it was, it, yeah, it just um, it caught me. A, it caught me a, a, a moment where I was a little bit off guard, and I did get a little choked up reading it. It was, it was very sweet. Thanks so much, Jake. Bless you both. Right, let's um, let's let's delve into to the draw that feels like a win. I mean. It, People get funny about football fans celebrating draws, but it was absolutely fucking great to score a last-minute equaliser, and especially in the manner in which it happened. You know, we'd been we'd been tacticked off the pitch, and then we we scored a, scored an equaliser through pure passion at the end. Uh, so so yeah, what's the point in a tactics pod, right? Um, uh, I kind of want to start where we always do with team selection, but again, nothing to write home about. I guess it was kind of as we expect, same team, changing the bench with with Spence not being there and Richarlison coming on, but not not a great deal to to go into there. Um, but we should definitely start with this question from Cole: Can we address a certain tweet made by a certain Italian podcaster at halftime? It was a valid tweet. And I think it, I think it stands up that 
I know that there were bigger problems happening than. than but, but which? But you got you got to say what the tweet was first, Bardi. What were you what were you tweeting about? I was I was complaining about one of our central midfielders, and it was a valid complaint. Fair enough. There were ten other players that I could have gone after, <laughs> but I think his failings as a high level midfielder showed up in that first half. Yes, Chelsea will go into the tactics, and yes, Chelsea set up a way to, to nullify us and stop what we were doing. But better midfielders would have worked it out and done better with it. And Bentenko is, is also to blame here as well. But I think Hjoiberg, I, I was upset with Hjoiberg. I was upset with him. We needed more from him and we got more from him in the second half. And that just goes to show that he can be better. I thought he was hiding. I thought he was pointing. I didn't think his passes out the back, out of midfield were good enough. And he was absolutely bushwhacked by... Um, Jorginho and Kante, they run him, they run the show. And Jorginho was brilliant for, for that match. And he, he showed that he is a top-level central midfielder. And I just felt that Schoenberg's weaknesses were, were laid bare. Uh, so, so just to sort of come back on that, uh, that, that point is obviously completely invalidated by the fact that, according to Seamus, um, Bardi called, <laughs> has disqualified himself from calling a player a cement mixer by revealing on Twitter that he has no real idea what cement is. Stones and water, he says. <laughs> but... I'm not. I'm talking about the the tool. I'm not talking about the the ingredients that go into the tool. What goes and, into the tool, buddy? Well, you put in cement and then you put <laughs> aggregate in there to make concrete. No, that's God. what you do. You, you you mix it, and it's essentially a combination. I've never worked on a building site. I've made cement by putting some stuff yeah. in a bucket and and mixing it with water. What stuff? Um, cement, the powder, yeah, which, yep. is, which is essentially stones which have been ground up. <laughs> c- c- cement is a, is a binding agent; it holds everything together. What do you mean? Which is what, what Huyberg is. You're, you're missing the point. Huyberg <laughs> is not cement. Huyberg, for me, is the cement mixer. Is the tool that just goes and churns stuff and gets pushed around the midfield. It's not very mobile, and it's just it's very agricultural. It's just not it's not very refined. Where, what the what the chemical situ- what the chemical situation of, of cement is, I have no idea. But I know essentially there's some stone in there and there's some water, and it gets mixed by something unrefined. And yeah, that's it. This is already my favourite podcast of the season. Um, but Bardi right back up on his um, his Brian Hill, uh, def- defending his position as ever. That's where it's where he's at his best. He's, he comes out fighting. Um, so going back to the football, and actually I do have some some points on Choi that I might raise a little bit later because I think he was an interesting sort of case study in this game. Um, but for me, sort of from a high level perspective, despite being territorially dominated against Tuchel's Chelsea, and that has that didn't come as a surprise. We've seen Tuchel kind of have one over on Conte for four games last season. Um, we defended pretty well and we kind of restricted them to, aside from the goals, one big chance, the the um, the Havertz one, right? We made a tactical change, which got us a goal. And then we managed to score from a free kick, which is something we've been, hope- or corner rather, it's something we've been wanting to see, you know, for a couple of years. And we've, we've got Gianni Vio now who's going to help with that. So... I think overall, I come out of this game, despite being territorially dominated and, and tactically outthought, I come away feeling really positive about it because we found a way. Uh, is that is that just sort of copium, Nathan? No, no, definitely not. Definitely not. Um, there is something to be said about um, Tuchel's Chelsea in that they kind of do this a lot. They They dominate territory and then they maybe score a goal they very rarely concede but they put up so little do you remember when we played Tuchel's Dortmund um the Europa League yeah I I was there I was there in person uh at White Hart Lane and I was completely blown away by how brilliant they were and his Chelsea side is just like what's the point like if you're going to be a billionaire's plaything, and I know that the conditions around that exactly have changed, but not dramatically. Like, be fun. Like, have have a have a purpose of joy. They're good in that they're efficient, but mm. it's really dull. For, I fucking hate Chelsea, right? And this already mm. makes them worse. Um, with that, with that out of the way, um, Jules sets up really, really smart against Conte. Um, that what did they beat us three, four times last mm-hmm. season? Four yeah. times. Four times. And we didn't they just, score, right, in any of those games? No. They they, they handily outperformed us in all four fixtures, right? Chihul kind of has Conte's number. 
Um, it's something I spoke about a lot before about you can just set up for the patterns. Um, so let's get into the, the, the grit of that momentarily, which is um, lining up in a 3-4-3 or 3-5-2 on paper and then shifting into a 4-4-2 shape um, where the front two mark the wide center backs, um, everyone else is man marked, and then essentially you leave Dyer and Larice. Um, available and we've seen this before a little bit leads did this to us last season but then they also tried to move someone from the personnel marking onto Dyer to hurry him up and in that they eventually tired and could be moved around whereas Chelsea were more happy to just let Dyer sit on the ball and even invite him to carry it forward and stuff um, confident they could just block off all of the options really tight man marking following Sun wherever he went um, James was um we can go more into how the rest of the game went after that, but just establishing that 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 Chuhol has this <laughs> Thomas <laughs> has this really good smart setup that has um, put Conte in trouble before. This could be the toughest fixture we play all season, and we come away with a point away. Mm-hmm. I think so. I think Tuchel was really smart in how he did it, and we got to take him. You know, it takes a, take a moment to appreciate the fact that Chelsea changed everything to to try and nullify us. That's how concerned they were. I do think Dyer probably had one of his weaker games I've seen in quite some time. I think he was a bit sloppy on the ball. I thought Kane was also bullied quite quite heavily by um by their back by their centre backs. Yeah, and I I just think we just saw some issues there from through the spine of the team, especially in distribution from Lloris to Dyer through midfield into Kane. There, there was issues there and. But Chelsea, they did it. They did an incredible game, man, and it it was a real. I've went back and watched our our friend John McKenzie's um, video, and it was it's a beautiful video going through all the tactical changes. It was a fascinating game tactically, and it was fascinating in terms of passion as well. The um, the point I was going to make about Huibia, I might as well make now because I do mm. think he's an interesting sort of person to hone in on in this game. So his role in the first half primarily was to to drop in between the center backs he so he, he would drop between uh, Dyer and Davis and Davis would push up on the left and Hoybier would receive from Dyer and then trying to move the ball forward and and because Chelsea were defending in this um well, Nathan described it as a 442 it was almost the, the defensive shape was almost like a how would you describe it 5122 so Jorginho at the base of midfield and then they have two players who do press Sterling and uh, Havertz and then two uh, Kante and Mount who mark so there was just nothing to there's no one to pass to they, they we just couldn't find a way out we couldn't find a way beyond so we ended up going long and uh, as Bardi says Kane just kept losing header after header Son was pretty much hopeless with his back to goal in this game just didn't really achieve anything didn't offer us a platform or a way out and didn't make any runs in behind and in the first half, we were just left to essentially Sessegnon making pretty good runs in behind. But, you know, you're making runs in behind and then having to run back and defend. It's exhausting to, to keep doing that. And we, we had nothing else really to offer in that first half. Um, to be fair to Huey Bia, he did make a couple of good passes. He found Kane with a nice pass around the corner, um, which Kane, I think Kane, it just came to nothing essentially. And equally, he, he nicked one over the top for... Um, for Kulusevski to run at Chelsea and again Kulusevski who had a pretty poor first half he kind of miscontrolled it the second half did change a bit and and I think the tactical change that Spurs made certainly helped with that but I felt like we were already much more front foot before that change and Huybier made a couple of really good passes firstly to Kane um, for the chance that he probably should have buried you know with Kane's high standards he's kind of scuffed it wide and then Huybier tried the same thing moments later for Richardson. Um, after he'd come on, but he was offside. Um, and then Huibier goes and scores. So I, I, overall, I have to say, I am quite happy with Huibier's performance in this game and just felt like the first half, his limitations were more about Chelsea doing a really tight defensive job and stopping any options being available. Um, alongside that, I, I think um, the way Chelsea sustained their attacks was just so impressive to watch in this box shape. But of course... The way they had the box shape, the, the reason they were able to have the box shape was because they sacrificed having a centre forward. So they had no one in the box to get on the end of stuff. So they were playing all this really impressive build-up play. And, you know, Mason Mount was getting into all sorts of dangerous positions. Um, and Huey Bier and Bentenkul did not know who to press. Did they press up against Jorginho and Kante or do they do they keep an eye on Mount and, um, and Havertz or uh, Loftus-Cheek even? 
Um, so Spurs just did, couldn't get organised, couldn't get, um, couldn't sort themselves out. And, and the solution I came up with was, well, look, just put Romero man to man on Mount, sacrifice him from the back line, put him man to man on Mount, and stop that ball being played in between the lines. A bit like what Chelsea were doing, they sacrificed Reese James, who did, who went man to man on Son essentially. Um, but Conte didn't want to take that route, and, and ultimately he moved to a back four, Nathan, which I think did have the desired effect. Yeah, oh yeah, immediately completely changed the game um, in terms of Chelsea's defensive structure was completely undone. And we were able to get the ball forward. We know what we can do. We can get the ball forward. Um, so offensively and in terms of possession, dramatically improved us. But And, and I remember when it happened at the 58th minute and I thought, OK, fine, but could you not have done this at halftime? I was thinking this, you know, I was calling for this from like minute 20. I was thinking that you, you, you should have had something here. You should have something prepared. You wait until 58 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes, it improved us offensively. But after the fact, I kind of have some peace with why you wait so long, because <clears throat> it also left us very, very defensively frail. I think most of that comes from we're all now used to playing a back three and yeah. all of our points of reference around that, which I guess comes back to Conte because you can say, well, you should have spent the last four days doing some some back four preparation. Um, yeah, I mean, Chelsea were just able to do their regular offensive game, essentially, in that situation, which is which is strong. Um, so we we scored, we conceded again, changed back to the, the 3-4-3. Um, that was hilarious to me, that Conte, as soon as he possibly could, change back to a back three. Yeah. Well, maybe we should have gone even sooner. Maybe maybe after scoring, we should mm-hmm. have just immediately gone back to the 3-4-3. Three, three. You know, in retrospect, that's easier yeah. to say. Um, but then we just... We just made it happen through set pieces. We we pushed, we we pressed harder in the second half. I thought, which got us a bit of a foot in outside of the time that we were playing with the back four. Um, and then we just had a spell at the end where we had a series of corners from which we continued to threaten to lead to more corners until it happened. There was um, two things that's really struck me in the game. Is that I've never seen so many footballers on the on the on the wings before. As we were past trying to pass the ball out, there was maybe five Chelsea players and three Tottenham players, all on the right hand side or the left hand side, depending which way we we move the ball out. And I think the other thing which really struck me is like the depth to this Tottenham team. And as the changes and the substitutions were being made, normally you you sit there in awe as like Chelsea throw on superstar after superstar, but we were able to throw on Richarlison, Perisic, Basuma, and all of a sudden this kind of the work that's been done in the transfer transfer window just came to it just flourished there. They we had legs and quality to bring on mm-hmm. and actual real game changers, and I think that's the first time I've seen Tottenham be able to do this in in many many years. Yeah, I mean, as much as I think the tactical switch was the absolute critical point, Richarlison's personal qualities made a huge difference as well. And I think that does need to be acknowledged. You know, he is he is as tenacious as they come as a player and his kind of incessant running beyond was really, really, really helpful for what we were trying to achieve. You know, Kane's a player who likes to drop deep. Well, the more players you can have run, running behind that, then the better And when you're chasing a game, certainly. And he was incredibly useful. Um, so just to, to talk about set pieces briefly, I think there's a couple of interesting points, one on either side. And um, I watched JJ Bull's Phil video for um, Tifo, uh, and I thought he made a really, really interesting bit of analysis around Chelsea's um, set pieces. So mm, he'd, yeah. he'd watched back and seen that Chelsea has constantly taken in-swinging corners in their previous matches with maybe one or two outswingers. And so Spurs were set up to defend the in-swinging corner, which meant that when Chelsea uh, played an outswinger, so I think Cucurella took the corner that uh, Kudabali scored from from you know the, the from the left hand side is an outswinging corner. Spurs have no one at the back post because they were expecting the inswinging corner to the near post, and Kudabali is left with a I was going to say a, a, a free effort on goal, but I mean it's just an extraordinary strike still from a centre back. You, you kind of can't compensate for a centre back hitting that kind of volley. It was so good, but that was interesting. And then from a Spurs perspective, what I found really interesting about our set pieces was both Perisic and Son took set pieces from both sides and swung in on both sides. So they were taking them using both feet. And uh, that made me hard. (laughs) (laughs) There was um, a podcast I was listening to 
it might I'm not sure who it was. It might be Nathan saying this. It might have been on this podcast. It's it's me alone with the dog at the moment. So I'm I'm forgetting what day it is. Um but I was talking they were talking about probabilities and um Kane is one of these guys that believes his probability of scoring increases after he's missed a sitter. Yeah. Was it was it you, Nathan, that was talking about this? No, no, we I was talking about it on Twitter recently with John, so I don't know if he's mentioned now on TIFO or something like that. Maybe it's somewhere, yeah, maybe, maybe that's where it was. Maybe that's where it was. And there's this probability that Kane believes if he misses a guilt, if he misses a big opportunity, like yeah. a high XG chance, he's going to score the next one. So when he missed that, I thought to myself, do you know what Harry's thinking right now? He's going to score the next one. <laughs> Because that's how he works. He doesn't believe in in it was it was Tifo. You're correct. It was the the roulette thing. It was brilliant to listen to. And I was just watching this game. I'm like, Harry's going to score his next chance because that's what he believes in and that's his mindset. And then he did score for his, his chance. Yeah, that's the interesting thing about that. I think he said it was Defoe who told him that anyway, which is mm. which is quite funny. The thing with that is like uh, mathematically, that's not sound at all, right? <laughs> but because he believes it, yeah, it, exactly, it is true, right? Yeah, he, because, yeah it overrides uh, the maths. Yes, I think so. I mean, if you think about any kind of beliefs, and I, I was raised Catholic, and even if you think about that, that's, you know, you need real need some faith to believe in, in all that kind of stuff, the, the beginning of time and how the earth was created, you really need some faith to believe in that. So the fact that we can just take a little moment to all be inside Harry Kane's head where he's thinking, it's all right, mathematically, I'm scoring <laughs> my next chance. I think that's a really nice place for us all to be in because inside Harry Kane's head, it's probably quite a wonderful place. Do we think that goal eventually goes down as his or is it an own goal? I thought it might no, have been trickling wide. It's his goal. You reckon? Yeah. Um, so so thank you to Ivan Victor, whose question I think we've we've covered. Uh let's let's talk about the the manager antics for a bit of fun. Uh Lion says, who wins in a street fight, Conte or Tuchel? Nathan's analysis on Tuchel's handshake, please. Oh, well, I mean, yeah, before I, I we talked about Romero versus Dyer and I said, look, Dyer's got the size, but Romero's violent. There's nothing, there's nothing going for, for Tuchel there. I, he's got reach, he's got height, but he's so skinny. He's so lanky. You see him when he ran down the touchline in his, his tight trousers. He's got no calves going on. One leg kick to the calf and he's on the ground. It was like Mr. Burns, didn't he? Conte's, Conte's stick through the core. Tuchel's in trouble in that situation for sure. Conte has tried to defuse the beef by uh, posting on Instagram today <laughs> saying um, you I if I hadn't if you're lucky I didn't see you because if I tripped you up it would have been a mess and then laughing emojis. Yeah, he deleted that a minute after posting it but the the Did screenshots he? were yeah, the, the screenshots <laughs> were straight in. <laughs> Tuchel's a I, I, weird dude. Yeah. I sure. thought Conte handled it in the post-match conference much better than than Tuchel. He just refused to to, to talk on it. I thought that was the wise thing to do. I mean, I will say this because this is what my sort of um non-Spurs friends were saying that Conte absolutely did like celebrate yeah. in front of the Chelsea dugout and and try and get a rise out of them and uh and he did get a rise out of them. So, you know, I'm not gonna try and pretend that he was the good guy throughout, but Tuchel's a fucking weird guy and like hanging on to the hand because Conte hadn't made eye contact with him was just an odd thing to do at that moment. Um and I don't really think it's right that Conte got a red card, to be honest. Like what's he gonna what's he meant to do in that situation? He the guy's gripping his hand. I just wanna say that Chelsea fans are like, oh, Tottenham celebrating a draw. Their manager run halfway down the pitch in the second game of the season. That's how important it is to them. That's how important it is to him. So if it's that important to him to win this game, then it's that important to us to bring it back in the last minute. Your manager sprinting down the pitch like it's the World Cup final. Shut up. You're allowed to celebrate a point. Uh, Sonrenity says, what is the correct handshake technique and do Italians do it differently? So, I mean, there's there's two different style of handshake in football, right? There's the, there's the how do, you, how do you even describe, elbow at right angles, the kind of the typical handshake. old English gentleman handshake, or there's okay. the the elbow at a 45 degree angle, you know, your, your hands are meeting in the air. Or just, I don't know, that, that seems to be the football handshake now. I mean, you're almost I, like I, high-fiving as you handshake, you know? I've, I constantly get handshakes wrong and it's, it's something which is, has haunted me. I remember there was a, a photographer that worked at my previous company and I didn't know what handshake to do and I ended up kind of hugging him around the waist. <laughs> and it's a, it's a <laughs> oh, common God. thing. One, one of the best things about COVID is you just fist bump and that was, that was it. It removed all the awkwardness of handshakes. But, I, um, I, I once, you just reminded me of something. You just brought back a horrible me- memory for me, Bardi. Oh, hell yes. I, um, I was, I was out at 
some sort of birthday party function and there were some friends of friends who I'd never met before and like a group of us decided to go on to a different venue and so I leant over to whisper to or to set to say into one of the ears of, of one of the, the the friends of friends um we're gonna head on now like do you want to come with us and she thought I was giving her a kiss goodbye and uh kissed me on the cheek it was just so it was so awkward like, I just didn't I didn't know how to respond it was so fine. awkward it's, the problem is internal Wendy that's a perfectly mm. reasonable misunderstanding and a and a sweet gesture from her and you could simply have absorbed that but then I yeah, had to sort of just gone with it but it's your, it's I your think I did I think I did I think basically what it meant was they didn't come, come on with us to the next venue yeah, because it was too fine. awkward to correct the situation <laughs> It's much better that way than you leaning in and she going to hug her and you kissing her on the cheek. Oh, yeah, gosh. oh, 100%. Yeah, 100% <laughs> better that way around. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't kiss a stranger on the cheek, I don't think. Well, in, in Italy, you do. Yeah. I, I remember being a, a, an awkward 15, 16-year-old and spending 10 days in Sicily and being introduced to friends friends and not knowing what to do and having to kiss men on both cheeks and it, it was really awkward for me i didn't know i didn't know how to cope with it mm. the 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 both cheeks thing is difficult for me the friends do it yeah. too I, that's that's too much i always get i always fumble that one uh, but then also how many times on each cheek because sometimes yeah, it's yeah. like it's it's a peck and then another and then another and then sometimes another one as well uh, yeah anyway yeah we've moved from handshake to kissing i don't know if that's so uh, um we're saying that conto should have just kissed two yeah he should have kissed you on both cheeks I, I like this <laughs> That is the solution. Look yeah. me in the eyes when you kiss me on both cheeks. <laughs> <laughs> just like, grip his head like um, <laughs> like like the Godfather. Just shake his head and kiss him. <laughs> kiss him on the forehead. Yeah. Um, Dakota says, "Glad we got a point and lots of drama, but that was a really poor performance, right? Especially in the first half. But even after Conte's changes, it felt like we were bulldozed tactically, along with some poor individual performances. Things definitely got a bit better, but it still felt like we were very lucky to escape with the points and no QT red card. Chelsea aren't bad, but they shouldn't look that good against us if we are serious about a title challenge. And um, I don't know how I feel about that. I kind of feel like, I mean, as we kind of said already, I, I, I think this is a very specific tactical issue that we probably won't come up against unless Potter tries something Um yeah, Brighton two, I think mm. might might give us a time there. Southampton have, have you know been and gone and failed, so that's one of the one of the tougher ones out of the way. I don't know if every team in the league starts trying to play like this against us, then we'll adapt better to it, and I think a lot of them will do a bad job of trying to do it. Um, I don't know the 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 top six. Maybe they will learn from Tuchel and they will set up around these kinds of ideas in their own way, and that can give us some trouble, but. Yeah, I I, th- I think I think Chelsea are specifically um, well positioned to to play us, and again we got a point away. Yeah. I think um, a lot of the top six, the managers are too ego driven. Arteta won't do that. He'll have his philosophy. He'll 100%. try and do that. We've seen it with Klopp and Pep. They they do that. And then if if some rubbish team wants to come and try and do that, then they can attempt to do it. But if they don't have Reese James, Mason Mount, Sterling, Kante, Jorginho and the rest of them, then forget about it. We'll just walk through it and we'll score goals. And I think the other thing that's worth saying is we're we're finding alternative ways to score. Son and Kane have not been in top form these first two games. We've got goals from defenders in the first match against Southampton. And we've got a goal from a central midfielder in this game, plus another set-piece goal as well. So I feel like there's a lot to be happy about there. Um, what did you think, Bardi, about the Chelsea fans' fury at some of the decisions? Um, so firstly, there was um, Ben Tankle's alleged foul in the build-up and then Richarlison uh, potentially being offside, blocking the view of Mendy. I thought it was a foul. When I saw it in real time, I thought, oof, that's a, that's a, he's going to get a yellow card for that because I think he'd been dispossessed and he was chasing back. So I thought it was brave from the ref to let it go. And maybe there's a lot being made about refs letting things slide now. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's what it was. But I, I thought had he blown up for a foul, I wouldn't have complained. Mm-hmm. But I'm, ha- I'm happy he didn't, obviously. And what did you make of the um, Richarlison potential offside? You know, I, I felt like, sure, he was probably blocking Mendy's view a bit. But there was another centre-back who was blocking his view way more than Richarlison was. So it, it didn't feel like a thing to me. It's had that been disallowed disallowed, it was almost like if you look at the levels of harshness, had it been disallowed, it was harsher than letting it go in. So I think <laughs> Chelsea just complained about nothing. I think it would have been more of a crime had they disallowed it. At one point I do think the they probably have a case on is the, the Romero hair pull 
on uh, Cucurella. Like, that is that is a red card, surely. That has to be a red card. But match of the day seems to think there's no rule on it. I didn't realise that he wasn't on a yellow when he did that. I assumed there was an earlier thing. What did he do? Was it like a hard tackle or something? Yeah, on Havertz. His revenge tackle on Havertz. I thought, I like. I looked away and assumed he was booked for that. And then I saw him pull the hair. I'm like, oh no, that's going to be a second yellow. Um, apparently not. Apparently, I mean, yeah, the, the whole. I don't sort of care that much about referee decisions. And I think the Chelsea are an abomination, and you can do no wrong against them. So um, I just don't care that much. But I was, I was, I was expecting Romero to go off at that moment. I mean, it worked. It worked for us because on the the second corner, Cucurella went nowhere near Romero. He was all <laughs> over the place, and. It, it, it rattled them, and that's that's what we talk about Romero. He gets in people's minds. They they had to pull off Havertz, which I think was a huge loss for them because he was causing us problems, and um, he really rattled Havertz, so they had to take him off, and they lost the focal yeah. point of their team. I'm just trying to think. I actually, I should know the answer to this, but I don't think I do. Had um had he been called up for a foul and a red, given a red card for... Um, for his violence on Cucurella, would would that have been a free kick to Chelsea given, or because the ball was not in play, would it have just carried on as a corner? I, I it was don't. while the while it was out of play, so they were yeah. in the corner, and so it would have carried on without Romero on the pitch for sure. Never right. mind. Also, yeah. uh, Cucurella apparently racially abused a uh, Real Madrid player, so fuck him. Yeah. As much as I'm I'm long hair gang, you can you can pull his hair. That's fine. I do often wonder about these guys that have really long hair, like the rugby players as well that have long hair. Surely it just doesn't make sense, no? It's just offering yourself out there to get to get pulled at a corner. Because you could really frustrate him, just give him a little pull here and there and distract him. It is good hair, though. Yeah, so, yeah it looks nice. Um, Jeremy says, Earlier in the weekend, one of my closest friends came out to me as gay, and so I'd been thinking a lot about the widespread homophobia. With Tottenham playing Chelsea, I was naturally reminded of Spurs fans' use of the Rent Boys chant, and I also read Lee Johnson's story of experiencing homophobia, homophobia at White Hart Lane from the Proud Lily Whites. Because of this, a lot of joy was honestly sucked out of our hard-fought point at Stamford Bridge. So my question is, how do you reconcile the ugly side of Tottenham with Tottenham still being the club we so dearly love? Hmm. It's it's extremely difficult. Um, there's uh, the crowd. The, the crowd is made up of different people from all different walks of life who have all different views. Some of them are great. Some of them are abominations. But I think you just have to separate Tottenham fans if that's what's upsetting you, to, and just look at the Tottenham team and just just celebrating what they're doing and how they're playing and what's happening with the with the team. But I think that's the only way to do it. You have to almost try and separate the two. Yeah, it's really tough. Um, you kind of have to switch off to it to an extent uh, for periods of time, at least. I think you can't make yourself responsible for the behaviour of like all Spurs fans. It's tougher for me when Spurs as an institution um, do things that I think they shouldn't or defend things or are silent on things or whatever. Um, but in terms of how football fans behave, they're football fans, you know. Um, so Spurs has to be you and the people you watch Spurs with um and your relationship to the the team and not every single Spurs fan because you're always going to be there's not a club in the world you can support um I don't think unless you know there's like seven guys down the pub uh, <laughs> and you know them all pretty well even then you know so um it's tough but you you have to try to make your peace where you can and I guess you also have to you have to fight the good fight with it you have to say hey we've got this chant and I think with this particular chant right the the rent boys chant um most people myself included initially understood it as being a sort of a financial um related chant that the, the Chelsea are sell out so they sold themselves uh for money and and trophies um and it's been brought to light not even that recently but it's being brought to light to people that it is um it also has very strong homophobic connotations and i think that if you are this is the kind of thing with with all of these um things we discuss problematic themes right if you've been singing that song for a long time and the re your motivation for singing it is because chelsea are these horrifying sellouts with a, a billionaire owner and then you're told that thing you've been doing that whole time is homophobic it's, it's tough right people really struggle with that and with adapting um i think you just have to give yourself some time um to listen to what other people are saying to to adapt to it to not take it as an insult to you and what, what you've done previously um and just to move on, because it's not about what you sung last week, it's about what you sing next week. I completely agree. And I also agree on the point of the, the club as an institution being morally bankrupt, being more difficult for me to come to terms with. But I will say this on, on the uh, 
on the, the, the chant, Spurs did put a pretty firm statement out before the game, which I was very pleased about. I thought it was a, the right thing to do and I thought it was a good thing to do. My issue is then that there's a, um, there is a discrepancy in one sense with their support for LGBTQ plus rights in terms of putting out that message about the Rent Boys chant and then public inaction on the fact that one of our footballers, Lucas Moura, is constantly liking... Transphobic... And sometimes homophobic, I think, um, tweets. Yeah. And, and let me just say that that Lucas's bullshit on Twitter has has continued. I checked it recently, and I mean, he he likes some pretty rough stuff. And I, my understanding is the club have done some sort of education thing with him. But but I do think they need to sort of actually stop this happening, or or at least make some sort of statement about it, because you can't like publicly make out that you know it's virtue signaling essentially if you don't actually follow through. Um, and, and that's a problem. But I was really pleased they did put that message out on um, on Sunday. I thought that was the right thing to do. I just wish they'd be a bit more consistent. So for the next few weeks, we are partnered with Athletic Greens. Um, we've we've spoken about them a few times before. Over to our Athletic Greens correspondent, Bardi. <laughs> so I started taking AG1 to improve my health. And I've been talking about my AG journey for a few weeks now. And I wanted to ask you, Wendy, my Ooh. host and my best friend, uh, a, a quick question. Oh, if yeah, if I asked you to name me a green food, what would you pick? A green food. Uh I do I do like green foods. Um broccoli. You like oh, well, broccolini. Broccolini. Well, so if you think about it, broccoli isn't going to win the league of tastiness. It's definitely not in the Champions League position of tastiness. <laughs> and it would be lucky to finish like Arsenal in a Thursday night position. It's just natural when you see green. And flavour, when you see green, flavour leaves the building. But this is where AG1 is different. It's green, but it's tasty. It has all the boring bits that we struggle to eat in one place. It has broccoli extract. It has spirulina, which always makes me think of spinazzola. It has, <laughs> <Yeah>. something, <laughs> it has something called alf- alpha, which is just a great name for a vegetable. Beetroot and loads of other healthy ingredients, which when put together make something delicious and refreshing. Think Doherty, Dyer, Emerson and my friend Hjoiberg. They're not the tastiest of individuals, but when put together and given a thoroughly good shake by Conte, they're a wonderful comp- combination, unless you're Thomas Tuchel, of course. <laughs> Just like those uh, those players that Bardi mentions, um, Athletic Greens um, say that AG1, is it's cheaper than getting all the different supplements yourself. It's, it's greater than the sum of its parts um, and it supports better sleep quality and recovery. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash extra inch. Again, that is athleticgreens.com forward slash extra inch to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Juicy Biffa says, are you watching All or Nothing Scum just for the pure enjoyment? I skipped over the cancellation of the game, hoping the last two episodes are pure misery for their fan base. They have to cover the second North London derby, surely. Uh, I am watching it religiously. And the, the strange <laughs> thing is that it's almost like there's not much difference between R1 and theirs. It's, a, it's essentially the same thing. Here's, here's a player who's misunderstood by the fans and this is what he's like at home being a normal human being like 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 Xhaka wasn't going to be a normal human being in his house like people think he's going around I, kicking his kids up in yeah the no, that's how I feel about Xhaka that's my assumption to be fair <laughs> 
And Arteta is trying to give these passionate speeches. They're not going into any tactics. And it's it's just like ours, but not embarrassing because it's them. And we know where it's heading, which is which makes the journey a lot of fun. I did enjoy the bit, though, where they sat Lacazette down and showed him loads of clips of Benzema and said, just, just be like this guy. But that was that was an enjoyable part. But it, it's the usual kind of fluff and bullshit. But um, it's them getting the mickey taken out of them, which is great. Nathan, have you uh, have you delved into it as yet? No, I do, I've been waiting for the Bardi report, quite frankly. That's that's the better way for me to consume it. And it sounds yeah. like, I, from what he said, I've made the right decision. Yeah, I don't, I don't know that I can be bothered with it. It's too... Yeah... There's not well, the, en- there's not enough juicy bits to make all the crap of just watching Arsenal players being Arsenal players worthwhile. Well, the difference is in this one is there's a lot more fan reaction and fan voice. And you can imagine we know what their fans are like. So they do spend quite a bit of each episode mugging off Arsenal fans and making them show, showing them up to be reactionary idiots. <laughs> so um, th- that's, a, that's a nice bit as well. And Buddy, I believe you are going to do a, um, a watch along for the X-Ups. Special watch along of the North London Derby episode. It will be filmed and recorded for um for for those that wish to watch. Or if you'd like to join, um check out your check your emails. There should be something from our patron with details on how to join. Nice. And you have interviewed Stephen Hawkins. Yes, Stephen Hawkins. We're going to chat about his book English Football and my part in it. I'm talking to him tomorrow. And um, we'll have a little chat about his opinions on English football and where it went wrong, which is, which is a subject that I enjoy greatly. <laughs> he always just has to get a jab in, doesn't he? He can't, he can't <laughs> just let it go. He can't let anything go. Can't break character, Wendy. Can't break character. <laughs> um, so next up is Wolves, um, who, to be honest, have been pretty uninspiring so far this season, I would say. Um, my... My thoughts are we might actually have some interesting team news to discuss at the start of the next pod because I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Richarlison got the start for this one. What do you think? Over Sun? I think so. I think it makes sense for the Wolves game to do that. I'm I'm seeing this talk and I I don't think it will happen. I think I think Sun was poor in that game. Um, and the Southampton game. Uh, maybe. I think he was Maybe. the worst player for us against Southampton. I, I still, I still don't see him. But to be honest, I, it's, it's less about that and, the, and more about the fact that Richardson's come on had a really positive impact and it's like, oh, let's just it's, it's, it's Wolves. We should be beating Wolves, right? Um, and then Son can come on and score a couple of goals and and get his mojo back. I think we'll see Richardson on the pitch earlier. I I struggled to see him start before that, but I think you know Perisic, Basuma, um, who else you got? On you know those subs, maybe maybe Royale's on the bench, maybe Lucas Moura starts a right wing back. <laughs> um, I think those are all more viable than so. I just think uh, like he's going to have a couple of poor games here, and, and Chelsea, you know, really nullified him very well. They dedicated a player to marking him out the game or match, but he's going to score goals. Um, I, yeah, I, 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 I just I, think I just think Richarlison on at fifty five minutes or whatever. I, I I definitely don't disagree. I like. If um, we didn't have Richarlison, there was absolutely no way I'd be saying that Southern shouldn't start against Wolves. And to be honest, if it was Liverpool next, I would be saying Southern should start. But uh, I kind of think, what's the point in having Richarlison if you can't then bring him on, bring him in to start against a team you should expect to be at home? We know um, we know Son is really streaky, and with those streaks comes periods where he's ineffective. And it, normally they may be two or three games long. So part of me is tempted to play him, see if he can play out of this funk and get back into a streak. But there's also part of me that thinks that Richarlison deserves to start this. And I I would like to see Richarlison start. Just more out of curiosity, to be honest. But I think I think he deserves a go. I would quite like an episode title, which is Pru, 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 Pru as well. So <laughs> there's, there's that. Um Questions, questions from listeners. I think we we get so many questions from listeners, and um, sometimes it's a little overwhelming. So so bear with us if we don't always answer your question that way. We do we do try and bank as many as we can. Um, Colby says, "Am I allowed to be concerned about the lack of outgoing deals yet?" So we've not spoken about transfers oh, in yeah. this episode. We we actually have hopefully uh, a new player coming in, Destiny Udogi, um, who I watched a little bit. I watched some clips 
having not seen him ever before. And I was really pleasantly surprised by what I saw in those clips. He looks a he looks a player. He's good. He's good. And he's a proper specialist left wing back. He's a guy that was just born to play this role. And it's a, a role that he's obsessed with. He's not one of these forwards that have just kind of settled or changed up. He's um he's a very good, very good prospect. And this is a this is a great deal. And I think I think there's a lot of Italian clubs out there, Inter and Juve, that missed the trick here. Interesting. I also I um I retweeted from the Extra Inch account an interview that Nima and uh, his colleague did with with Destiny, and he seems mm. like an absolutely lovely young man as well. So, so that was nice. Um, to me, it, he 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 has like the explosiveness um, yep. at, at both ends of the pitch, which which I found really exciting. Um, so he kind of makes good runs with and without the ball, which I think is where he differs from Sessegnon, who tends to make good runs without the ball, but not so many good runs with the ball. The only downside I saw was he, he was a little bit uh, reckless sometimes in the tackle. A little bit, He went to ground a little easily in the clips I saw. Uh, but then Romero does that as well, and it works out just fine. So maybe it will be a, it'll be a positive, for, a net positive for, for a Conte team. I'm a little bit more cautious. I, I think he's definitely a talent. Um, young, developing, all of those things, and you know he's not going to come in and, and compete immediately, and that's fine. I just he's such a weird profile. He plays for like um, Italian Burnley, okay, and he a, a wing back, and he's a goal scorer. He's completely uninvolved in possession and build up play. He's just like he defends outside his box, and he scores in the opponent's box, and not a ton in between. And okay. Um, there's some gaps that need to be filled in there. Whether he has the capacity for those gaps, you can't tell while he remains uh, where he is. I think that um, relearning him elsewhere, um, maybe that isn't an option because the terms of the sale mm. weren't going to dictate that, but I think he needs to be loaned somewhere elsewhere before he comes to Spurs. Kind of in a SAR situation where he went back to Mets and you still have those question marks. Mm. And now he needs to go on loan elsewhere. I think I have the same thing with him. Um, de- again, definitely a really talented player, a multi-dimensional talented player. Um, but like, yeah, no build-up play, no crossing game, um, ball carrying in like short spurts, but not in traditional wing-back areas, um, but a centre-forward in the box. <laughs> so strange, strange, strange profile. Do you remember the video we did uh, analysing Matt Doherty's crossing? Yeah, there's definitely a Doherty-ness to him, I think. Uh, so I was going to say the opposite. I think oh. I, I really like his technique when he's crossing. Um, we, were criti- we were so critical of Doherty's crossing technique. Like We were basically saying, this is a professional footballer who doesn't know how to cross a football properly. Um, Yudogi, I think, crosses really nicely on the run. He often he finds the gap between the defenders and the goalkeeper with regularity. In the, certainly in the clips I've seen, and I could be seeing okay. clips okay. that weight it in his favour. Uh, but I was really pleasantly surprised for a young player to have crossing technique that good. I was I was very pleasantly surprised by that. So in terms, I've got to say, sorry, I'm, on, I'm, st- I'm still rattled by by Nathan describing Udinese as, as Italy's Burnley. Go on. There's just like there's a whole history of incredible attacking flair footballers <laughs> that have come through this team. Sure. Who, uh, yeah. That were Burnley are playing possession football under company now, but how do Udinese play this and last season, season before that? It's it's five. It's a back five in their own box, and the rest of the team not far behind. Yeah, I still don't think you can call a team that's had some of what they've had just because they've been a bit more defensive and a bit more pragmatic in two years. Uh, a Burnley. Okay, uh, I retweeted uh, a thread or a pair of threads on on Destiny that I think are really really good. Um, he cool. uses the word lazy, and 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 Dap on Discord was right to point out that that's that's a bit of a a heavy word, which I don't like to use myself. But other than that, really really good work on those threads. I retweeted about a week ago, so go and check those out for more on on Destiny. Uh, we're gonna we've loaned out Lacelso, and we're looking like we're gonna loan out in Dombele. It does appear that way. So yeah, it, it, with all the chaos of the post Chelsea stuff. It kind of got missed by a lot of people that the the, the Giovanni Lo Celso deal got completed. Uh, he's back to Villarreal on loan, and um, and that seems like a good move for all parties. I would think. Um, I can't see him returning, but there's no obligation to buy in the in the deal. I think it's an option again. So I, I guess we wait and see how that one pans out. It does feel like Ndombele will be loaned. That it's gone very quiet on Harry Winks. 
it's been very quiet again on Tanganga too. Um, one of the bits of reporting I saw earlier today was that we've rejected three offers for Lucas from an English club, an Italian club and a Saudi Arabian club and that Spurs are demanding 20 million euros um, to, to sell Lucas. So, you know, I guess keep an eye on that one as the transfer window comes to a conclusion. Um, but I guess things are steadily moving forward with the outgoings. Are, are we at panic stations yet? Not, no, no. Now, now Lo Celso has gone and Dombe looks close to go to Napoli. Um, Regalon's the other one. Relief. It's all quiet and regular. Oh right now. man, that's weird. Like he's really good, and we have allowed we have allowed the impression to go out that he is anything other than a very good player, and I think that's a mistake on our part because, um, to me, I think he's worth his release clause, uh, his his buyback clause to Real Madrid. I think he's a really, really tremendous player. Was it forty? Was it forty million? Yeah, and obviously we're not going to get close to that. Um, I don't know. He hasn't played to that level at Spurs through three different managers, right? So. He's uh, he's just not really suited to Conte. It's just it's. I wonder if it's a league thing. I feel like uh, we talked about. This, I, I think it's. I just, think it's a physicality Conte thing mostly, maybe, and and a, and a final third decision making thing. If I'm honest, he just he's so rushed. Everything he does is so rushed since he's been at Spurs. Pretty much, I got we have a few counters under Mourinho actually for a year. We were really good, but since then, especially with wing back under Conte, his play is so so rushed. It just. I didn't see that elsewhere in his career, and I think mm. that's so strange. Um, there, there should be a lot of interest in him, and there isn't, and that's a problem. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a pity for us, and it's a pity for him as well. I hope he does get a good move because he seems like a really likable person um, off the pitch, and as you say, more than competent player. I, my, um, I've just had this image pop into my head of regular and like. That sometimes he'll he'll just show a bit of composure, which takes you by surprise, and like cut inside onto his right foot, and then absolutely blaze it wider over on his right foot because he's got mm-hmm. no right foot at all. Um, but yeah, he's he's not a terrible player by any stretch, even in the Conte system. He's 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 good. He's a very good up and down fullback. I just don't think he's a a wing back in the mold that Conte wants a player to be. Um, Stuff Boyd says says Spurs seem to be looking for a technical midfielder that can pick a pass, deliver from wide can be physical and have defensive awareness to cover Kulusevski, an offensive eight and right wing back. Um, do we still think that this might actually happen? Do we think that Spurs are going to sign Kulusevski cover or have we left it too late at this stage? I don't think so. I don't think we're going to go out and sign a type of Madison player. I don't think Zaniolo is going to happen now. I think that's gone. He looked really good this weekend, actually, up front with Dybala and Tammy Abraham. So I think that's gone. I think we, I think we may just sell and I'll, be surprised if we sign anybody else mm. um um uh, yeah i i think that between a right-footed centre-back upgrade on davinson um a backup to kulosevsky unless hill is is going to be involved and uh uh a creative technical number eight and maybe improvement on right wing back i feel like to not get one of those in is is disappointing from here on hmm that's the thing there's a lot of time left in the window to go and if we if we can shift some of the players then presumably we can make some more signings i mean 20 million for lucas yeah is, a, is crazy we should I mean, take that we should take that and turn sale. it into a right wing bank yeah immediately i think so so in double to go out on loan it looks likely we've got Raylon winks and then maybe you're looking at royale um tanganga tanganga yeah, that's... Uh, or, or Davinson, maybe. Or, or Davinson, one or the other If a late bid came in for Davinson that allowed us to then go and spend a bit more, then I'm all for that. I thought Royale was pretty good. I did too, actually. Chelsea. I did too. I think um, I think he's had a, a good start to the season. He's he's not like a, a dynamic, game-changing right-wing back, but he is more than adequate. He does, he, he does a good job out there. Um I'm really intrigued to see what happens to the right wing back spot this year because I think that Spence is is the most exciting. I think he's got the highest ceiling of the three. Definitely. But it, but it definitely seems like Conte wants him to work his way in slowly, like learn the system, prove that he can he can cope with what's being asked of him. So I think we're going to see a lot of back and forth between Doherty and Emerson b- before uh, Spence gets a look in. When um, when I spoke to um, Dominic Ball last week about his about his book, he he said something about Pochettino and, and the change in training under... So he was training with the first team with, when Redknapp was there and then Pochettino came in and it was just like next level stuff. 
and it really taxed his mind, taxed his body. And I wouldn't be surprised if, if Jed Spence was going through something very similar, where he's gone from training in the championship with, um, what's the name of the Forest manager? Who Steve seems, Cooper. Who seems pretty good. He's a good who manager. Seems yeah. good manager, knows what he's doing, but then just to arrive at Tottenham, and it, it's just different. And I think it's just going to take him some time to, to bed in and just learn how to train with, with these with these elite footballers and elite mm. manager now. Yeah, it's a, it's a big ask, you know, it's a big step up, of course. Um, and m- maybe some of those early Champions League matches when we require some rotation won't be the first time we see Spence properly. Especially in, in a key position. So often we, we talk about Delhi, how he was able just to, to fit in straight away. But Delhi was in a, in a position under Pochettino that just allowed a little bit, little bit more expression, a little bit more freedom in, in the role. I think um, right wing back we see it's so specialised under Conte that it's just Mm. naturally going to take time for him. Yeah. Thank you also to Ted Stewart and Sebastian, who is Sebaza on uh, Twitter. We kind of covered your questions, but appreciate you asking them. Um, I'm going to ask this one because I've made a promise to RR10 from the uh, from Discord that I would try and squeeze it in. And it's it's perfect now because Marcus Edwards got two assists this weekend. He says, question for Windy after seeing Marcus Edwards' goal. You've had many favourites in the academy through the years. Onoma, Velkovic, Kyle Walker-Peters, etc. Name your one, two, three all-time favourite academy players who didn't make it to a regular first-team spot. I like this question a lot. Um, did you see Edwards' assists, Nathan? Yeah, he bodied someone. He did. Little little Marcus Edwards bodied someone off the ball and played a laser assist. It was, it was marvellous. I highly recommend you go and watch. Uh, you can find it on YouTube. Um, just got yeah. just got the weight right and balance right, didn't he? Very right. He's doing really well. I'm so pleased to see him doing so well in Portugal. He's now forced his way into the sporting starting lineup. Um, Pretty I much, mean, it, they bought, they rotate uh, a lot, Trincao, don't they? So there's like competition there. Um, maybe um, maybe Edwards could get some game time as a number ten, or they will adjust. In fact, he kind of played up top, yeah, uh, you know, rotational up top because they they were missing their number nine. Um, but yeah, he's 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 first eleven quality at at Sporting. He's um he's a really good footballer. So he, yeah, he's my he's my favourite. I would say that that didn't make it to a regular first team spot. Um, and then I think Onoma would be. I think Onoma. I mean, if, so Walker Peters, I would I want to include, but did, does it count? I don't know because he's he did play semi-regularly I guess it counts mm, I um, don't know if he did play he saw I, the bench a lot I don't think it counts he 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 made first team appearances yeah so appearance. uh, Walker Peters would be my second choice then I think um he was really special as a youth player he so what you see with him now for Southampton is he's just involved in build-up constantly he's you know a real outlet um at, at, at right back but he comes inside and he's kind of involved like he's playing lots of neat interchanges and he's technically so so good that he can just take the ball in and offload it quickly in a way that and then move in a way that other opposition players can't cope with and that was particularly evident um for the youth team where he really dictated things from right back and was just outstanding and when he came into the Spurs team, I guess I felt like he wasn't given a chance to shine in a role that suited him best. And so he was kind of, we were judging him all the things that, on all the things he was less good at rather than the things he was exceptional at, um, which I think hampered him. City should buy him to be Cancelo's understudy. 100%. He'd fit in so well. He's, he he would fit in so well as in that role. You know, his dribbling's really good. Cancelo's dribbling is incredible, but Walker Peters is a really strong ball carrier. Um, and I'm just I'm just sad that we had him right there. and We've struggled to find the right back, and we didn't just persist that bit longer and try and focus on his strengths rather than shoehorning him into a role that didn't really suit him. And then I do want to mention Josh Onoma, who, who, who you know he he's not getting games for Fulham now. Um, and that was the case last year as well. He does constantly have injury problems. But I sort of think... So I watched Aston Villa over the weekend and was once again impressed by Jacob Ramsey, who I think is a really, really good ball carrier and passer. And I was left thinking that's the player that I thought Josh Onoma was going to be for Spurs. He's He was so, so good for the under-18s and then the under-21s and then the under-23s. Um, just brilliant and not just for Spurs for England at all levels he looked so so promising um, just stood out against other similarly brilliant players in his age group um, and it just didn't for whatever reason it just didn't work out it didn't translate it did, we didn't manage to 
to keep the momentum going as he came out of the 21s and there's some talk that he went on loan and came back or no he went away with England and came back with a little bit of a chip on his shoulder and kind of thought that he deserved more than he was getting at Spurs not in terms of money but in terms of um, prestige I guess and how, how he was being sort of looked at as a prospect um, and and it, it didn't it didn't pan out and, and those early stages in a player's career are so important the trajectory keeping the upward trajectory and momentum just are everything it's it's where it went wrong with Edwards it's where it went, went wrong with Walker Peters and it's where it went wrong with Onoma and I hope that one day he'll get back to the levels that he can play at because he was just a fantastic midfielder but obviously like it makes me look a bit stupid, to be honest. I championed this player who can't even get into Fulham now and didn't even get in the in the in the championship. You will be riding the Harry Kane roller coaster for the rest of your life with with no questions, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> can I can I have a go at this as well? Can I name mine? Yeah, as please you, do. I'm going to go for Suleimani Koulibaly, who was signed by Spurs in maybe 2010, maybe, yeah, and he right. was. Under-17, World Cup winning, golden boot, Ivory Coast forward, the next Didier Drogba. And Acrobat. We were excited about him. Scored was, four goals in a game. Was it five, I think? Woof, he was going to destroy the world. And uh, yeah, it <laughs> didn't happen. Also, my Harry Kane was Lee Barnard, who I loved. <laughs> I loved Lee Barnard. And I remember when I was at university going to watch Coventry under-23s versus under Tottenham's under-23s, whatever it was those days, the youth football. And he was picking the ball up and just pinging it in the top corner in the warm-up. And I think there was a League Cup game or something and Redbroff was there and Barnard was warming up and he he just put Redbroff to shame. And my final one is um, Rodrigo Defendi, who was signed <laughs> by Frank Arneson, the guy that discovered Ronaldo, the proper Ronaldo. We signed this 16-year-old Brazilian centre-back called Defendi. He was just destined to be incredible, but he wasn't. They're, they're my three favourite youngsters that never made it at Tottenham. Some um, some honourable mentions from me. Uh, and you mentioned Velkovic, RR10, in the question. He's he's definitely up there. Velkovic, we had a standoff with him about contracts and loans and stuff, as Spurs always seem to, to do. And he was a he was a quality player at one point. Sort of ball-playing defensive midfielder who could also play at the back. Mm. Uh, he's gone on to have a solid career in the Bundesliga. He's done very well. Um, uh, who else? Uh, Paul Jose Mpoku, who looked unbelievable again in the youth teams and went on to play for Standard Liège, which obviously is a, is a very good standard. He's played, excuse the pun, he's played for them twice in, in two stints and played, you know, well over 150 games for them. So he's done well, but uh, I thought he'd do better. He's, he represents Democratic Republic of Congo at international level and has, has had a solid career for them also. Um, Adam Smith. Longo. Longo as oh, well. Luongo is a good player. Luongo. I like Luongo a lot. Um, obviously, he played a lot of championship football now, but at one point, I thought he was destined to be a Premier League player. Adam Smith, who's who's come back and forced his way back into the Premier League with Bournemouth, was a really talented right back and, uh, again, was part of a talented team, but he, he looked really good. Um, yeah, we've had, some, we've had some exciting young players over the years who I've been happy to watch. I think the thing with young players is... You sort of mention a few names and people think you're championing every young player. Yeah. And and the thing is, like, there are sort of between 10 and 14 in an intake. So if you're mentioning two or three players, that means you're not mentioning nine or 10 players and, and you're not rating them as highly. And I think also you do, it's important to remember that the, the, the chances of one breaking through to the first team are quite small. Um yeah, I, I think Spurs have done okay in that respect. I actually wrote an article about this on wendycoys.com a while back and looked at some of the data around it if you're interested in, in reading more on that. This is a whole podcast. Dean Marnie just popped into my head, who on his debut scored two 25-yard screamers. Yeah, and it's I'm really gonna, Yeah, I'm really going to show my age now when I mentioned Darren Kasky, who yeah. was be- better than Beckham, though. And, um, Didn't he? Um, Darren Kasky, I want to say, had a fist fight with someone against Burnley in the League Cup. <laughs> Am I making it up? He either got punched or he swung for someone. I can't remember which way round it was. It might have been. It might have been Kevin Russell. Do you remember Kevin Russell, the sort of no. bruiser of a forward for Burnley, Rooster Russell? Uh, I think he had a fight with Darren Kasky. I might be making it up. Someone will correct us. I'm sure. I just want to say, if you see Benjamin Mendy's name or image on your timeline, just just don't read the tweet. You have been listening to The Extra Inch with me, Windy, my sidekick and best friend, Barney, and our tactics guy, Nate Clark. 
If you like this, there's plenty more at patreon.com forward slash the extra inch. Production is by Nathan A. Clark. Our logo, artwork and website are designed by Trayton Miller. Our music is by David Lindmer. You can find him on Instagram at David Lindmer. Do check him out. He's great. Great, great. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Extra Inch. Email us at podcast at theextrainch.co.uk. Subscribe, leave us a rating and a review. And most importantly, be sure to tell all of your Spurs friends. Shout out to the X-Sub, we love every single last one of you. And of course, come on you Spurs. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.